0: Yeah, that was a fitting word, no matter how well we are doing individually. If one of our brethren is not doing well, there's a certain discontentment. There's a... Paul was like that. He was always doing well, but he said, Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So we uh, adjusting. The... <clears throat> well, let's turn to First Peter. At first, I. This, this is not a subject that I would like to speak on, but the good thing about going through the scriptures is that the Holy Spirit determines the diet, and the topics, and the, what we need to hear, because this is both a very sad uh, and disturbing uh, thing, but nonetheless uh, a reality. And last time we, uh, we spoke about the, the reality of the coming of Christ and the scriptures which are given by the Spirit of God, not by the will of man, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, verse 21 But then he moves quickly, but, there in, as the sentence just continues, even though it's a different chapter. He says, but, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. And bring upon them swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So he starts a subject that he treats at length. And he spends the whole chapter talking about these men that have been present since really the beginning of time. Um, In Satan himself, he started it all both to twist and to cast doubt on the Word of God. That's what he does in your life. Uh, Satan is working to cast doubt in your mind about the scriptures, to twist the scriptures that you would not believe the truth. And that's what he is working to do. Both by um, working on your own mind and by working through others. And that's who the subject is about. False prophets, just as there were true prophets, men that were communicating the word of God, Holy men, it says there in verse 21, but holy men of God, and then corrupt men, evil men, uh, are going to speak lies. And that's the contrast there. They're going to seek to bring in damnable heresies, uh, things that will damn people to hell if they believe them, and will also corrupt their lives and they will um, ultimately be destroyed. So I, I just made a outline so we could go through this section, verse 2. We're certainly not going to rush. This is a very important topic, but I thought we would um, just have a, an outline so we could see... What Peter is saying and it helps for me to break it down in my mind so I thought I would share that with you <clears throat> verse 1 there which we we read verse 1 and 2 <clears throat> verse 1 is the surety of their existence it is a sure thing that there will be false prophets among the people of God there was in the past and there is now now that might not be that they're right here in this assembly but certainly they are working in greater Christendom and even in many different congregations that's uh, reality and they seek to do it uh, privily secretly Uh, that's how the devil works the devil works subtly Um, he doesn't or all at once introduce a lie, he would seek to bring that in slowly um, so that people would not uh, notice it. Stealth is um, the best strategy in war. Um, Some time ago, probably now at least, wow, 30 years ago, uh, the United States developed an aircraft that uh, was undetectable by radar. So this plane could come in under stealth. And in modern-day warfare, they, they could see, even in World War II, you could see people coming. Ships, planes, all kinds of things coming through Radar and they would know. They'd have forewarning. But this aircraft could absorb radar uh, detection rays that would not bounce back off the aircraft and come back to the receiver, but it would deflect off of it or be absorbed. And the exhaust, which was also detectable because of heat, would be cooled through a series of Cooling techniques so that the aircraft wouldn't put out this hot exhaust stream. You see it in the sky with planes going by and this big trail of exhaust. So, this plane could come in with devastating effects because you're just boom, it's just there and you are destroyed. And the devil works in that way secretly. Seeking to introduce things. And eventually they come to full light, as it did with that airplane, too. Devastating effects. I can still remember that. Desert storm was the first time they used that aircraft. People in bunkers. And they were destroyed. And it's like that with the devil. He's going to seek to destroy the people of God by corrupting uh, the gospel by teaching a false gospel, by presenting a false Christ, or teaching error about Christ that would lead people away uh, to ultimately destroy them. Verse 2 there, And many will follow their pernicious ways. And they are going to be effective, unfortunately. They're going to be effective. And in verse 3, one of their two motives is revealed there. They got two great motives, but this one is through covetousness. They shall with feign words make merchandise of you. They'll use the people of God to make money, (laughs) make merchandise of you. They're like chattel. They see people as a cash cow, and that's many Many uh, men have done that, and it's come to full-blown light in the United States, of all places, where there are many, many, many false teachers that are rich, exceeding rich, off the backs of the people of God, and with them uh, bringing a false message and destruction. But then God promises... That he will destroy them, and he gives several examples of him destroying people who would walk ungodly. And verse four through nine gives that um, gives that teaching, recalling many of them. <clears throat> and then in verse ten, he comes back to the whole because. Verses 4 through 9 are like a hiatus. He's going to destroy them, and this is why, because he's done it in the past, and he will do it again. But then he goes on in verse 10 with key characteristics of these men. They have two great motives, as I've seen, and the second is uh, they walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. They're ungodly men, uh, perverted men, in their minds and in their bodies, and that's what they're seeking to fulfill. Through money and through uncleanness, immorality. And that's what they... Those are two big things that drive them. And you'll see that in the lives of many false teachers. Whether it is secret, it eventually comes out. And there has been many, many men like that, Unfortunately but it is the truth. That's why he says in verse 10, but chiefly them that walk in the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And then he gives other characteristics. They despise government. They don't want to be ruled. They want to rule. And they don't, they're not submissive men. They are, um, they despise not the government, although many people do do that, Uh, but they despise being governed, government. And then they're presumptuous, unlike the men of God that are not, uh, these men are self-willed. Men of God want to be ruled by the Holy Spirit, by the will uh, of God. And then it gives some examples of their self-will. They're not afraid to speak evil of. Dignities. Now, I read a commentary where He says these are earthly dignities. The only problem is this is a word that isn't used of uh, earthly governors. And I believe the context and the example there, both here and in Jude, is that these men are so presumptuous, so confident in themselves that they uh, would rail on the devil, Now, that seems like a strange thing, but they would rail on things that they don't know. Angelic uh, powers. In verse 11, it says, Whereas angels, that's holy angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Now, I don't think angels rail on earthly rulers, but they do... uh, are tempted to rail on uh, angelic beings. And it gives some examples of that uh, over there in Jude, which we'll look at when we get there. But these men are spiritually presumptuous. <clears throat> and then it gives in verse 12, but these are natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. It speaks Peter is so, if I could say, rough with these men, and um, he spares no words, just piling on the judgments and the damnation on these men. Now, we ought to be careful um, not to be doing that ourselves, um, and be very cautious on who we would declare as a false prophet or a false teacher, because there's very um, there's it's very well laid out in Scripture who is and who isn't, and we would be uh, very cautious not to be damning people to hell and judgment and fire. Um, that aren't worthy of such. So that's something that, um, yeah, we ought to be very cautious at. Verse 13 and 14 gives more um, characteristics of their uncleanness. Again, they're undercover. They count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings. While they feast with you. They're right in the people of God. Feasting and... uh, But their real motives are there. Both for money and it says for adultery. Beguiling unstable souls. They want to take women away from their husbands and be immoral with them. Horrible thing, but... That is uh, what they are after. It says, They've forsaken the right way. Here again, Covetous following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Again, they're out for money. And they're following the teaching and the desires of Balaam. <clears throat> but he was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass, speaking with a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. And then again, it piles on more um, judgments on them and characteristics. They're wells without water. So you come to a well, you want, you're thirsty, you need something, and the well is dry. They really have nothing to say. Nothing uh, of substance, no spiritual uh, provision for people. They are clouds that are carried with a tempest. Clouds without water. You see a cloud coming and you're expecting rain and there's nothing. That's what these men are like, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Again, verse 17 through 22 is the unfortunate effect that they have on people. It says they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness, those that are clean escaped from them who live in error. So they allure people through the loss of the flesh, appeal to people's flesh, and don't give them what they really need is uh, being built up in their spirits, having new hearts. They don't give them that. In verse 19, they promise them liberty, but themselves are slaves of corruption. So they're men who are in bondage themselves to sin, practicing in private, um, those things. And they don't, uh, obviously, if they're in that state, they uh, usually lead others into the same. And then in verse 20, the unfortunate circumstances of those that would hear them. For after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter is end is worse than them than from the beginning. For it is better not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So people that hear the gospel, and these men are preaching some kind of gospel, and they would escape uh, a corrupt life, then again would be entangled because these men would lead them back into sin, ultimately, uh, with perhaps a Christian name attached to it. Um, And many of these men would profess Christ. It is rife throughout the Scripture that these false prophets would be naming the name of the Lord, naming the name of Christ, and yet, would be all of these things, um, and that I think is the hardest for people to grasp. Well, the person they talk about Jesus and everything—well, sure, that is uh, often the case. Which we shall see as we survey the scriptures. These false prophets would speak in the name of the Lord, and would, in some ways, be undiscernible from the true prophet at your first look. But in closer observation, which Peter gives us close observation here, um, it would become apparent that they are not true prophets. So we need to be cautious and... I think in years and ages gone past, men have just hurled all kinds of damnations on others that don't agree with them. And we would be careful not to do that. And only when it's necessary would we mark somebody out as being a false teacher um, for obvious reasons. Because there is undeniable evidence that it is so. And with sadness, we would do so. And I think men that were quick to be condemning others is a place that we don't want to be in. We want to be quick to think the best about others. But where we cannot and where it is obvious, then we need to... um, expose them. And that's what Peter is doing here. He's exposing uh, these men for who they are. And because they do so much damage, we would be obligated to um, expose such people. So with all of that um, background, <clears throat> we'll come back uh, to verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. As we said before, there's a long history of uh, false prophets. Ever since the word of God came, um, the devil has been there seeking to corrupt it. And um, the vessels that he uses, his favorite tactic, stealth tactic, is that they would be men of... As in times past, men of the cloth, clergy, people who would stand behind pulpits and would um, wear crosses and their collars turned backwards and all kinds of things to, and they would appear to others to be righteous men, and they would be honored and respected as such. They would be um, respected as, at least in the gospel age, as priests, of which there is only the priesthood of believers, and pastors and teachers and rabbis, etc., etc. Whatever title is given in a particular um, denomination, um, that is where these men would operate. And that's what it's speaking of here. It's not talking about people that are outside of uh, Christendom, although they would be included, uh, those that would be openly and outwardly against Christ. It's not that at all. It's men that would be speaking apparently for Christ and speaking about Christianity and the gospel and everything that is the big concern because they can do the most damage. I'm sure we've all heard of that story of the Trojan horse where the the enemy brought in uh, which looked like a gift, but actually it was a gift where they wheeled up to the gates of the city I think it was Troy wasn't it and they brought in this horse and inside the horse the gift was men that came and they opened the gates from the inside and um, so that whole Trojan horse thing has become a uh, illustration of infiltration and destruction from the inside, and that 's really what uh, has happened in christendom the The true damage is done by men on the inside the history of the of the church, when the Constantine declared Christianity the religion of the empire, and all of a sudden everyone that was a pagan priest uh, and was into paganism, they were brought into Christianity, and they um, eventually that whole church was corrupted, and they began to persecute the true again, true Christians. And out of the church of God arose uh, the man of sin, not other than the papacy, of which uh, he was a, a man of God. But he corrupted the scriptures, he corrupted the word of God, and he corrupted Christianity and became a persecutor of the true faith of God, of which the people of God have battled for centuries, centuries, and hundreds and hundreds of years, and really that um, perhaps Peter was thinking of those men. Unfortunately, there were men way before that um, that were teaching all kinds of heresies, So let's go back into the Old Testament, and it helps to see the history of false prophets so we can understand um, what they do and how they do it, both their mode and their manner. Turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13. Actually, the first one is mentioned in Second Timothy three eight, and it's on referencing uh, those that opposed Moses. Not uh, their names aren't given there, but historically, their names was Jannes and Jambres, men that opposed Moses. And mark it, they could do signs and wonders. The devil can do signs and lying wonders. So, when people get so wrapped up and all they think about, wow, this person did a miracle, Uh, yeah. But what did they say? What's their life like? Uh, Is something we need to ask. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13. God is forewarning the people. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder. So he's saying this is going to happen. It's not, uh, it's a certainty. This is going to happen. So a prophet will arise or a dreamer of dreams. And that term is going to come up. Men that would be getting dreams, and true prophets did have dreams. And, but these men are specifically known for reporting their dreams. Now, true prophets had dreams. We need to keep that in mind as well. And then he gives a sign or a wonder. And verse 2, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto these saying. Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. So he has uh, the sign of a prophet. He has a sign or a wonder, a miracle that he does, and it comes to pass. Look at those men who opposed Moses. They could do some miracles. Not all, but they could do some and the signer of the wonder comes to pass, but his message is false. Let's go after other gods. In <clears throat> verse 3, And thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether, whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So this prophet comes and he has a false Message wants to turn people away from God. Let's go worship Baal. And he has some power. Um, that is a supernatural power. And then the Lord tells us, or tells the people of God then what to do. Now we have no such jurisdiction now. Mark that very clearly, <clears throat> that we are not to be laying hands on Someone we deem to be a false teacher or that is a false teacher and taking them and putting them to death or anything like that. Uh, Whether it's the government um, or whether it is some kind of ecclesiastical um, government or whatever power. But it tells you there what they were to do with them then under the old covenant. They were to take that person and they were to put them to death, no matter who they were, if it was your own wife or your son or your daughter. And it gives all those examples. Um, but that is uh, ended with uh, it ended with the old covenant that they were to destroy uh, false prophets from among them. Turn there to uh, Jeremiah, chapter 4. Jeremiah. And we'll also see that, uh, unfortunately... The true prophets of God are relatively few and the false prophets are relatively many. (laughs) And that uh, we'll see down through the scriptures. Uh, Jeremiah 4 and verse 10. Now this is how much um, influence that false prophets had. And that's why God wanted them destroyed. Now, the true prophet Jeremiah was prophesying that God was going to destroy Israel. Not utterly, but he was going to make an end of them in the land. And that was his message continually from the beginning. But notice Jeremiah's message, which you could say he lamented. Because he he says throughout his prophecy, all I get is a message of doom, (laughs) and that's not a very nice message, just a message of doom. But in verse 10, he says, then I said, then I said, ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, ye shall have peace, whereas a sword reaches into the soul. So Jeremiah wavers. He thinks, well, you promised Jerusalem peace, which the Lord said. But there was a condition. And what was the condition? That they would walk in the way of the Lord. And if they didn't, then destruction would come. But Jeremiah, forgetting that whole thing, he, for a moment, wavers. Yeah, these false prophets are right. The Lord has said, We'll have peace. And that's what their message was. It was peace, peace. The problem was there was no peace for the wicked and there was destruction. So the devil takes one part of the promise of God and then he twists that and says to the wicked, You're going to have peace. Lord's going to bless you. And Jeremiah is like, No. That's not going to happen. It's going to be destruction. But these false prophets, that's what they preach. Turn over to 614. Uh, 6, 14. <clears throat> In verse 13, just to get some context, note from the east from the least of them even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness, and from the prophet even unto the priest every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So they were corrupt men, priests and prophets, they were covetous, and some places they they prophesy for money. And that's what they were ultimately out for. And their message was peace. And Jeremiah's message was destruction and repentance. And they had no such message. Turn over to 8.11. Because they are continuing in this vein and they do continue so. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. So the people and the prophets that were corrupt men, they affirmed them in their sin and didn't seek to turn them out of the way. Turn to Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27. Verse 9. Jeremiah 27 and verse 9. So Jeremiah... Has to expose these men. <clears throat> Therefore, hearken not unto ye your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, there's that term, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak to you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie unto you, to remove you far from your land, that ye should drive you out and ye should perish. So Jeremiah's message was, serve the king of Babylon, and it'll go well with you. The false prophet's message was, rebel against the king of Babylon, and which they did. And for the most part, the nation was destroyed right up to the king. But Jeremiah's message was consistent. Serve the king of Babylon. Not believe all that the king of Babylon says, but serve him. And that was consistent throughout uh, Jeremiah's ministry. Turn over to chapter 28. Now notice it calls these men prophets. That's very... uh, We have to note that. verse 28, it says, It came to pass in the same year in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah... King of Judah in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah the son of Azar the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spake unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, So this man seemed to be the son of a prophet, and he was recognized as a prophet. Keep that in mind. And then he says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring again into this place all the vessels of the house, of the Lord's house, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. So the people have, the first wave of exiles has gone. Nebuchadnezzar has come. He's. Killed some people. He's taken some people. Daniel and his companions would have gone in that first wave. Ezekiel and a, about one-third. They, they went out in three waves and then they returned in three waves. And so this is in between that time. And this prophet comes and says, two years. That's very specific. Two years. And uh, the Lord is going to bring He's going to defeat the king of Babylon, and he's going to bring back all the vessels that are taken. That's pretty specific. But Jeremiah's message was, no. He's going to, if you don't repent, he's going to destroy this city, and he's going to sack the temple, and it's all going to be over. And that was, in a nutshell, that was Jeremiah's message. But then look down to verse 5, and then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah, in the presence of the priests, in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord, even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon unto this place. So... Jeremiah didn't immediately dismiss, because even though the message was contrary to his, he said, amen. If that happens, that's great. Um, But he goes on. Even, uh, nevertheless, in verse 7, nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people, the prophets, that have been before me and before thee of old, prophesy both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet that prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. So Jeremiah adds, yeah, if this word doesn't come to pass and there's just more war than you're not a true prophet. And he goes on. <clears throat> then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and break it because Jeremiah had a yoke and he's saying serve the king of Babylon. And that was his message. And this man takes that yoke off and he breaks it. And <clears throat> he broke the yoke. Thus saith the Lord Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. So this happens in the Lord's house. Everyone's there listening to it. And he breaks it. And then Jeremiah leaves. That's it. And then down in verse 12, then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet, after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the necks of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And they shall serve him, and I have given him the beasts of the field also. So no sooner had he left, and God said, no, this message isn't true, it's false. And he goes back. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I'll cast thee from off the face of the earth this year. Thou shalt die because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So, again, a terrible end of these men. But he was a prophet. <laughs> but his message was contrary to the message that the true prophet was giving. And he claimed divine inspiration sounded good. And who wouldn't want to go after a message that was peace and uh, restoration? And who would not want a message of judgment and terror and damnation, which was Jeremiah's message for those that did not repent. And Jeremiah always called the people to repent. Um, go over to Jeremiah 29. <clears throat> so Jeremiah writes a letter to the people that are carried away captives. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and unto the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that Jeconiah the king and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. So he takes all the upper crust, the skilled people, the nobles. Um, then down to verse 4, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive from whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take the wives of your sons and give unto your daughters to to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and that you may be increased there and not diminished. So the people may have got wind of this two-year prophecy. And they're thinking, great, you know, we're just not, we're not going to be staying here. This is, this is not for a long time. And down into verse 8, <clears throat> he tells them to seek the peace of the city to, this is going to be a long time, a long time. You could live, you could be born and die in Babylon. That's how long it's going to be. But then in verse 8, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken unto your, dream, in, unto your dreams which they cause you, cause to be dreamed. So again, their dreamer of dreams are saying, I had a dream. The Lord's going to come and It's going to be only two years. I heard there's another prophet. And these men are right there in Babylon. False prophets preaching a different message. And Jeremiah writes, the true prophet of God, he writes there and says, it's going to be a long time. And this is the true message, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So it isn't going to be two years. It's going to be 70 years. And that's a completely different message. And that's why Jeremiah tells them to dig in, pray for the city, submit to the king, uh, go about, have families, normal life, if I could say that. But God promises that he's going to call them again. And by the way, Daniel read this prophecy when he was in Babylon at the end of his life, knowing that 70 years, and he knew that it was getting near the end of that time. And so Jeremiah had written to the people at the beginning of the exile, but the false prophets were saying, No, it's not going to be uh, a long time. And so the message was always contrary um, to the true. Turn over to. Um, We'll move into the New Testament. <clears throat> there is many more. Um, we could look at Isaiah. We could look at other men. There were always, if they were true prophets, there were always false ones. And they were uh, often, but they were called prophets. They were men that were listened to. Turn over to the New Testament. Matthew Chapter seven. Matthew Chapter seven. Our Lord in, has just delivered what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> um, given people the way of righteousness that's impossible without faith in Christ. And then in ver- he finishes the whole section, really, there in um, 5, 6, and 7, he finishes with a warning. And the warning is in verse 15. Beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bringeth forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So our Lord gives us some insight the, they will be beware of them because they are dangerous <laughs> and they are men that are representing God. In the context, <clears throat> the false prophets were specifically of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. They ruled the nation, their word carried, and the Lord even said, They sit in Moses' seat, so listen to them, but do not do As they do. And they often, they twisted the scriptures. They taught things that were not true. Of which our Lord points out uh, several of those things. But he tells them to look at their lives. Look at their lives, see what they do. And even if their message is true, they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, listen to them. So they obviously spoke some things that were true, but they um, their lives were corrupt. And he says to you, they come in sheep's clothing. So they appear to be part of the people of God. They appear to be um, true prophets, but inwardly, They are wolves. They are looking to feast on the sheep, which we read there in Peter. They are going to make merchandise of them, use them for their own means, their own ends, their own lusts. So he tells them to look for the fruit of their life. Look at the fruit of their life, and then you'll determine whether they are false or whether they are true so regardless of their message if you look at their life and you see corrupt fruit there you know not to listen to them now usually that corruption comes through in their doctrine and it's it's hard to imagine a false teacher that always spoke the truth <laughs> they're going to at some point Speak things that are not true, that are lies, that are going to seek to turn people away from the Lord. The Lord said of the Pharisees that they shut the kingdom of God in men's faces. And they hinder those that are trying to enter. There are people that are trying to enter through the gate and they are hindering them from doing so. Why? Because their message is not true. And they were the ultimate... Christ deniers. Uh, We know that the Pharisees, have any of the rulers, the Pharisees, said that this is the Christ? So if we haven't said, then he isn't. And they were the ultimate Christ deniers, even committing the unpardonable sin, which was to declare that the works that Christ was doing were of the devil. That's the unpardonable sin, nothing more and nothing less. And these men were as the the poster childs for false teachers. And so the Lord warns of them right at the beginning. And they, he seems to indicate that there are, are men down through the ages, that not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. So there are men that, that profess to know the Lord. And these men did. They were... They were more righteous than most people uh, of their time. And they could even do market. They could even do miracles. They cast out devils in the name of Christ and done many wonderful works. But the thing that delineated them from the true was that their lives were corrupt. then the Lord says, then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So, but in the doing so, they chase people on to the broad road that leads to destruction. Ultimately, their message is false, and they push people on to the broad road of destruction. So our Lord warns about that at the beginning, and thus continues his warning throughout the scriptures. It is a big deal. Often it is not a very pleasant topic, so people don't like to talk about it. But I think when the Word of God does bring it up, we can see how much Revelation the Holy Spirit has given on this whole subject. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, in verse 24. Again, this is the unpardonable sin. But when the Pharisees heard it they said this fellow doth not cast out devils by but by Beelzebub the prince of the devil of devils and Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them every and then he goes on and verse 31 wherefore i say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men but the blasphemy against the holy spirit Shall not be forgiven unto men. And we know what that is. And then in verse 33, he gives the same test. He says, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, or the tree, for the tree is known of his fruit. Now, mark it, it's what they said that was bad fruit. Sometimes bad fruit is how people live, and that is true. And sometimes bad fruit is what people say. That's very important. I think that is often overlooked because people say, Oh, this person lives such a godly life, etc., etc. But their teaching is corrupt, and that is what the problem is. And here it is, what they said was the problem. And they said that this man does miracles by the devil. That was their teaching. And they obviously said, don't believe in him. He is not the Messiah. And that's what they also taught. And he says in verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye be evil? Now this is unmistakable that what people say is fruit. He says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Speak is fruit, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So true men speak good things about Christ Jesus. They affirm him. They love him. They encourage people to trust in him. These men were not doing that. They speak lies about Christ, and that is still true today. Turn over to Matthew 24. Or before we get there, 23. Matthew 23. So our Lord is dogged by false prophets the whole time he is on The earth and they deny, 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 and they twist and they lie about uh, the true. Matthew 23 and verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, or here we go, covetousness, for ye devour widows' houses. And then outward righteousness, for a pretense, make long prayers, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. So they were outwardly religious men, but they would actually, after a widow had died, they'd come in and pretend to be really concerned about her, but then they would like take all of her money. Like It's almost unthinkable, but that's what they did, and, it, and the Lord said that on different occasions. I'll make sure your affairs are dealt with and properly as your lawyer and then swindle her out of all of her money. And uh, you wish that that was only true once, but it's happened many, many, many times. Um, Over to verse 31. So we see some of the marks of false... Teachers, they're after people's money and they are corrupt. Uh, they live corrupt lives secretly, but they do so. They want people to outwardly think that they are righteous. Um, down in verse 30, 31. <clears throat> Wherefore, ye be witnesses of yourselves, that your children of them which killed the prophets... Fill up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? And they opposed the true. They, he said, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. And then those frightening words that upon you shall come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom thou slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Why? Because they were the as I said, the poster child of those that would be false prophets. They claimed to speak for God, and they were against the one that spoke for God, namely our Lord Jesus and his representatives, his apostles, which they would uh, later on kill. So the, the people of God have always been persecuted by those that would claim to be uh, also speaking for God. And there has been countless men down through the generations that have done so. Turn over to Luke 16. Again, some of the characteristics of their lives. Uh, Luke 16 Luke 16 and verse 14 And the Pharisees also who were covetous He had just told them that you can't serve God in money The Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things And they derided him That's the Lord Jesus And he said unto them Ye are, are they which justify yourselves before men But God knoweth your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Down in verse 18, whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband, committeth adultery. It seems like it's just there, kind of out of nowhere, but that's what they were doing. So he, he says, you're, you're covetous and you're adulterers by action, not just by... Stumbling in your thoughts, although they did that as well. They were after, if they didn't want, uh, they wanted to appear to be righteous, so they found a way to divorce their wives and marry another. So that uh, was a common practice. And so they taught that in Israel. They taught you could divorce your wife for any cause and marry another. And they made a big deal about that. They wanted to justify themselves before the people, and thus they were teaching that in Israel. And that view prevailed uh, with most. I think there were a few unpopular rabbis that taught you could only divorce your wife for adultery. And that was an unpopular view. Turn over to Acts. Acts chapter 20. Again, the true uh, apostles come on the scene and immediately um, there is opposition. So Acts chapter 20, Paul is, meets with the Ephesian elders and he delineates his life, I guess, among them. <clears throat> we'll start reading right at verse 19 serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befall me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And... So he's persecuted for the truth. And then down in verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So he says, this is going to happen for certain. (laughs) For certain it's going to happen. And if we think that, hmm, doesn't seem to be much, then we're maybe asleep. And if we look around, there has been much corruption uh, of the word of God, both far and wide. So he tells these men to take heed. For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves. The Lord Jesus warned about them, and they are going to arrive. Where do they come from? Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, so he was there for how long? years, (laughs) Three years. <laughs> and he says, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I f I've just it's it's so hard to grasp, but every opportunity he, he took, he said, false teachers are going to come. Beware. Some of you are going to be victims of that. And he tells the overseers, Watch, because it is going to happen and it did it did happen and major parts of the new testament are devoted to the paul battling with these men galatians first and second corinthians second corinthians almost entirely devoted to the reproving of false apostles The whole letter is dedicated to that. Paul setting himself up as a true apostle and to out, ultimately, those men because they had won over the Corinthian congregation and almost turned the whole church against him. And that's under Paul's ministry, you can imagine. Uh, But that had happened. So how much uh, has that happened since without Paul... Paul knew that he was keeping watch and nobody could get past him. Nobody. But unfortunately, lesser men they would uh, allow, uh, probably through ignorance. Sometimes being cautious, you don't want to denounce somebody or out somebody that is not true. or is uh, you don't know for sure is a man who is false. <clears throat> In verse thirty-two, he says, <clears throat> "Now, brethren, I commend it unto you. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified." So, this is the mark of a true man of God. Verse. 33 I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel that's very true so you mark a man if he isn't out for money check one of the signs that he is a true man of God he's not out he's not in it for the money and he is not in it for what he can get but how he can give and Serve. That is so true. And Paul mentions that he didn't covet any man's gold or silver or apparel. In fact, he labored with his own hands, says he worked night and day so he wouldn't be a burden to the church. Now, he did receive support, which he was entitled to, but he was not out for people's money. But the false teachers. They were. They were out for people's money. And that has not changed uh, down through the ages. That has been the same. I came across a man who wanted to be a teacher in this church. And when I say this church, I mean the church that we fellowship with, Mount Salem. Uh, and he, he didn't claim to be an apostle, but he was pretty close to it. And as this man spoke, I was just, I was absolutely dumbfounded. Like, I was, Yeah. Dumb, I could just I, just I could hardly believe what I was hearing and he started to criticize other of the elders um, of which I got a little bit angry <laughs> now I didn't rail on him but uh, I finally had to say I cannot bear your words anymore like I didn't tell him to shut up but that's how I felt It was unbelievable that it was, and he claimed to be more spiritual than anybody else, and there was no mistaking that, Um, and he wanted to be supported by this church, and he was worthy of it. (sighs) I said, (laughs) There are men that have sacrificed and worked a job and labored day and night so they wouldn't be a burden unto this congregation and you are going to come in here and expect to be served. Wow, I could fit to be tied. I am telling you. Oh boy, I was Maybe he said, "You guys could stop drinking so much coffee and give a dollar 10 a day or dollar 20." That you spend on Tim Hortons to my salary, like it was just. I was like, get this guy out of here. Like, and I talked to the person that brought him, and I said, Tough. like, I just didn't have. Like, it was unbelievable. Like the words just kept piling up, and that's when I, I just cannot listen to you anymore. But here he had all the marks, and he thought he was the cat's meow. He had revelations. He had teaching that he was going to give, and he should we should be so privileged to have him in the midst. And it was coming like a full illustration of... Now, most people are not that overt, but this man was. They're not that, if I could say, daft, that I would... You know, like he might as well had a t-shirt that said, I am a false prophet on it. Now, the sad part was he was a man that was very needy. And it was obvious, but not to himself. But he had all those, and he argued tooth and nail. A workman is worthy of his hire. You shall not muzzle the ox while you he's spouting out all the things about having to support him in the ministry. But Paul and true prophets and apostles did not do that. They labored, Paul says, I coveted no man's gold, no man's apparel. Labored uh, at their own expense, at their own labor, not to be a burden to the church. Mark that. I'm so happy um, with men that were, they're just so far from that. You could barely give them money. They were just, like, you'd shove it in their pocket, it would come out the other one into the offering plate. Like, you just couldn't do it. The, uh, the deacons would, oh, there was a, a shortfall. they take the money out of their own pocket and put it in the offering. You know, just that type of thing. Instead of oh, taking the money out of the offering and having a spirit of entitlement, they were the opposite. So where you see that, men that are covetous, that are after money and have... They feel like they're privileged. They should be supported by the congregation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, that's a bad sign. Now, maybe they're, you know, depending on the degree. This man was pretty overt, but other men, they they're less overt than that, but they still are out for the money. It's a job to them, of which they want to be supported. Another five minutes here. So Romans chapter 16. Again, that was a, a pretty... Yeah, that was an incredible experience. I, if I hadn't experienced it, I, I, I wouldn't believe it. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Pretty well, the warning about false teachers is mentioned in every New Testament book. Romans 16 and verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and damn them to hell. Does it say that? No, what does it say? Just avoid them. Um, I'm thinking we don't have the ministry of damning people to hell. It says avoid them. For they are such, for they that are such, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own appetites, their own desires. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So again, you have false doctrine and they are in the church and they are causing divisions by their false doctrine but notice it comes with good words and fair speeches, uh, which deceives the heart again of the unsuspecting. So we don't want to be suspicious, but we don't want to be we want to be watchful. That's the word that is used. Watchful. Not condemning, not quick to condemn others. And You know, some people just might need some exhortation, some help. But um, in some cases, it doesn't work. (laughs) Turn over to 1 Corinthians. Again, this is um, a theme that is in every book of the New Testament. It's already starting in 1 Corinthians Paul is battling what he eventually outs in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as false apostles. They had wormed their way into the church slowly and they were starting to speak against Paul. And we see that already in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. He says, "Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord?" Are ye not my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle to others, yet I am doubtless to you. For the seal of my apostleship are ye in the Lord. My answer to them who do examine me is this. So their message was, Paul is not a true apostle. And so he starts to establish, and that becomes full-blown in 2 Corinthians, that he is a true apostle. Because that's what these false apostles would do. They would seek to bring another message and they would undermine the teacher or the apostle in the church. And to cut themselves off from the true apostle was, that was it. The church was damned. Because they would inevitably bring in a false message and then lead people astray. And that's what he was working on. But notice this whole section is about the whole matter of receiving support from the church, of which Paul, um, he refuses to receive support from the Corinthian congregation. Why? Because the men that were there, they were entitled to the support of the church, and that's what they did. And they lived off the backs of these men. So Paul... Uh, And they turned that around on Paul and said, if he was a true apostle, he'd be receiving support from this church. And he goes on to teach them that, yes, the Lord does say in verse 14, so even hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done so for me. For it was better for me to die than any man should make my glorying void. So in verse 18 he says, What is my reward then that verily when I preach the gospel I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I might not abuse my power in the gospel? So he had power. He should have been supported as an apostle, but he gave that up. False teachers did not do that. They would come in and say, well, I am worthy of such and such, and would expect that you would get that. And that was their posture. And so Paul, he seeks to um, speak against them, and he very gently has to uh, point out where they're going wrong, before he really opens all the, gets all the guns out and just lets him have it. Because a lot of people had started to follow these men. And so if he came in with a full frontal attack, then it might, he might lose some of the people. So he doesn't do that. He uh, he very carefully seeks to win them over. And... uh, and remind them of how much he loves them and how much he had served them. And then we'll end with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So again, if you read through 2 Corinthians, Paul is building toward the uh, what he has to say in chapter 11 and 12. Um. So chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom ye have not preached, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. <laughs> so they were bearing with these men. In fact, they were being won over against Paul uh, through continual um, Evil speaking against Paul and turning even what was a righteous thing into something that was negative, i.e., his not receiving support from the church. So he continually has to mention that, which he does several times in uh, this letter. So they spoke against Paul; they undermined him. And he says, "For I," in verse five, "For I suppose that I was not a whit behind the very chiefest." apostles. So Paul says, I'm the true apostle. These guys are false, and this is why. He he lays it out, their message, their manner, their their life, etc., etc. And then in verse 13, he just leaves no doubt as to where he's at with these men. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, who that the ministers of Satan, where are they? It says, they shall be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So, The devil can appear as an angel of light, and he has to many people, uh, making them think that it's God when actually it's the devil. And he has done that to Joseph Smith, to um, many others who have claimed that they have a message from God, those that saw visions of Mary, et cetera, et cetera, and her um, being the co-redeemer and all of that. All that stuff is all from the devil and it has happened over and over and over again. But that's where the devil is most operative, and Paul has to out these people for that. And he has to set himself up as the true which he was. Again, this is a big subject in the Scripture, not something I like to talk about but I think is something that we cannot ignore because God has given it to us uh, to protect us from a false message, from false shepherds. And then we can see who is true and who is false. Well, Matthew, you want to stand up? and.